You may be seated. I want to move relatively quickly tonight. We're going to turn to Genesis chapter 16. Genesis chapter 16. And reading from verse 1. It says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children. And she had in handmaid an Egyptian whose name was Hagar. Tonight I want to continue. Uh, I mentioned a couple of months ago, I believe it was the last Wednesday of November, uh, which if you took notes, you can go back and, and always find. Uh, but it's a continuation of this intermittent series that we started a couple of months ago uh, where we're going to dig into some Bible on characters that don't seem to occupy center stage. That is, they don't occupy the spotlight the same as some others. There's only one Paul. There's only one Peter. There's only one Tychicus. There's only one you. Go ahead and pat yourself on the back. You are not one in a, a million. You are one in eight billion. There's only one you. Unless you're an identical twin, and then there's kind of another one of you. Uh, but they're still a little bit different. Each one is valid, valuable, and important. One's occupation of a position of recognition or a spotlight does not increase their value in the eyes of God. If you're never seen by the eyes of man, but you faithfully serve God, you are valuable to God. And sprinkled throughout the scripture are characters that play an important role. If we believe that every word of God is inspired by God, that means God breathed. And if we believe, like Jesus said, that not one jot or tittle of the law is going to pass away until all things be fulfilled. If we believe that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. If we believe that all of it is, is meaningful, if the word of God is infallible, then that means every character plays a role. Every person has an important part. And so tonight we talk about lessons from the life of Hagar. Genesis chapter 16 is the first mention of Hagar. She comes out of nowhere. We've been introduced to Abram and Sarai for several chapters now. They've already begun to walk with the Lord. They've already faced several adventures together. And God has made Abram some promises. In Genesis chapter 15, we find God appearing to Abram and proclaiming to him, I am your shield and I am your Reward In the same conversation, God begins to promise to Abraham that I will make your descendants as numerous as the sand on the seashore and as numerous as the stars in the sky. But Genesis 16 turns the page and we read now about Abram's wife, Sarai. And the problem with having descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky is that they have precisely zero 
children. But they do have Hagar. Hagar most likely comes to us first in Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis chapter 12, we find that Abram and Sarai have... Uh, they have left the land of Canaan. They have journeyed down to the land of Egypt. We find no record of God telling them to, to do so, but they go anyways. And Abram is a little bit scared. He's, he's not the same man that walks up Mount Moriah. He's a little bit younger. His faith is a little bit smaller. He's not as mature as he was. Aren't you thankful that you're not who you used to be? But you've continued to grow and to progress and to draw closer to God. Or at least that's the goal. To continue to grow in Christian maturity. And so Abram is scared. Sarai, his wife, is apparently quite good looking. Uh, apparently quite ravishing, actually. Uh, and he realizes, when I walk into Egypt, my wife is so good looking. Every gentleman says Amen. Only one of you, man. <laughs> She's so good looking that everybody is going to try to claim her. And so he, he, they work up a scheme and they say, hey, when we get to Egypt, I just want you to tell everybody you're my sister. Now, this is half true, but it's entirely a lie. Uh, because... Telling somebody something with the intent to deceive is a lie. It doesn't matter if there's an element of truth in it. If you're deceiving, it's a lie. And so, Pharaoh takes a look at Sarah and says, my, my. And so he claims her to be his wife, thinking she is unwed. And the Bible says in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 6, he entreated Abram well for her sake, and he had sheep and oxen, and he asses, and men servants, and maid servants, and she asses, and camels. The Pharaoh is so infatuated, he gives quite a dowry for Sarai. So here's Abram sitting in his tent, surrounded by wealth, while his wife is in the harem of Pharaoh. Now that's a whole different sermon, and we could talk at length about how God steps in and defends his man, who's in the middle of lying, God's grace steps in and speaks to Pharaoh and defends Abram and Sarah while they're in the middle of misleading somebody else. But it's quite possible that this is where Hagar enters into the picture. You see, it's important that we never assume we've made it out. It looks like Abram and Sarah make it out of Egypt with not a single punishment for their crime, for their sin. But this is where they most likely pick up this, this maidservant, Hagar. And Abram's sin of lying to Pharaoh about Sarai quite possibly planted the seeds for the pain and the heartache of later chapters. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that will he also reap. You see, it, it doesn't matter how well you think you've covered your tracks. Repentance is still the only option. you got to bring it out to the Lord. you got to make it right. you got to confess, and you've got to turn away from it. 
And so they have this handmaid, Hagar, and they have this promise from God. And Sarah, one day, as she's eating her basic four cereal with goat's milk, a light bulb goes off in her head. And she says, ah, I've got it. She says, God has restrained me from bearing children. I pray, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram, not surprisingly, hearkens to the voice of Sarai. And Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. What an incredible story. Is there anybody that's not heard this before? All right. So we've heard the story of, of Abram and Sarai and Hagar. We, we see Abram and Sarai attempting to force the promise of God to occur. Instead of standing in faith, they lean to the arm of the flesh. Now, it makes sense. It was also common practice in their culture and in their day. It made logical sense, but it did not align with the word of God. You, you have to wonder a little bit, is, is Sarah, is she hoping the problem is Abe and not her? Boy, wouldn't it be really convenient if he marries Hagar and still no children? That'd be really nice. Instead of her bearing the shame of this, now it's, it's actually somebody else's fault. It's somebody else's problem. You see, it's a lot easier to handle disappointment when you can point to another person and say it's their fault instead of having to deal with yourself. Instead of recognizing that the issue is me, I can say the issue is thee. It's, it's your fault. It's your problem. I'm not the issue here. If you have to connive a way to make the promise of God happen, that's a surefire sign you're out of faith and walking in flesh. If you start scheming about how the prophecy is going to come to pass, that's flesh. That's not faith. <coughs> and so Abram goes in unto Hagar, and she conceives. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. Now, this next, these, these verses all blow my mind, but this one really gets me. And Sarai said unto Abram, my wrong be upon thee. I have given my maid into thy bosom. And when she saw that, I, that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between me and thee. Now, this is obviously all before, like Paul references, Sarah calls Abraham Lord. All right? Everything is not good in the tent. All is not well. If there were a couch, Abram would be sleeping on it. All right? There is a fight going on because Abram and Sarah have stepped outside of the design of God. When you try to walk outside of God's design, God's plan, and God's will, there is going to be chaos that stirs in your life. Stuff is going to begin to crop up and conflict is going to begin to brew. God's design has always been one man, one woman. One man, 
one woman together. Jacob tries what his grandfather tried two generations later. In a, in a, in a marriage to sisters, which is already mind-blowing, each of them brings their handmaiden into it. And now Jacob is caught between four women. It's a disastrous mess. But if you read Genesis 16 and 5 in the New Living Translation, listen, listen to Sarah. This is all your fault. <laughs> what? That's the, that's the start of every successful married couple's conversation. This is all your fault. You see, there's, there's a maturing process for Sarah, too. We focus a lot on Abraham, but there's, there's a process for Sarah here, too. This is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms. And now she's pregnant and she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. I have a quick answer. You're both wrong. You're wrong for giving another woman to your husband, and he's wrong for accepting the offer of another woman. Hagar didn't ask for any of this. She's passed around like a piece of property. You got the man and woman of God, the representative of God. In Genesis chapter 12, God switches from dealing with all of mankind and focuses on Abram and begins to call him out. And now here's the man of God, the ambassador of the one true living God, mistreating Hagar. They're treating her like dirt. You go on to verse 6, and Abram says to Sarai, Behold, thy maid is in thine hand. What happened to wife? Three verses is all it takes for Hagar to be promoted to wife and demoted back to maid. Do to her as it pleaseth thee. Abram has some real problem with women and spine. He's on a journey. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for a God that's willing to take me through a process to produce something in me. Abram later has a conversation with his wife and with his boy Isaac, and they walk up Mount Moriah, and Abram is able to say, I and the lad will go yonder and will come back again. Uh, but at this point in his life, he's got, he's got no backbone. He's got no spine. He's got, he's got small faith. And so he, he says, look, here's not my wife. Here's, here's your maid back. Have, have your maid back. I, I've, I've, I've done what I wanted. There's a problem. Have your maid back. Do whatever you want with her. And so Sarah deals harshly with her, and no surprise, Hagar flees from her face. Mistreated and abused, she does what so many do. She runs. Sin has brought great pain to her life. Abram's sin, Sarai's sin, Hagar's sin. And so she flees into the wilderness. She runs from her problem. She flees hoping that just maybe I can make it out. I can find a better circumstance somewhere else. And the Bible says in verse 7, the angel of the Lord found her. I'm thankful that when I was running 
from my problems and running from my circumstances and running from all the chaos and the confusion in my life, the angel of the Lord found me. I was fleeing, but God was pursuing. I was running, but God found me. I was in the wilderness trying to get away from my problem, but the angel of the Lord was in pursuit. Surely this is what David means when he says, the goodness and mercy of God will follow me all the days of my life. I'm thankful that when I was in a, a, a poor state as a teenager, a poor state as a young 20-something, the mercy of of God kept pursuing me. The mercies of God kept coming after me. When you felt like you were in the wilderness because of what other people have done to you, things that you didn't ask for, circumstances that you didn't put yourself into, know this, the angel of the Lord can still find you. The angel of the Lord can still get to you. The power of God can still see you right where you are. And the angel says unto Hagar, Hagar, Sarah's maid. Ouch. It's how the angel of the Lord immediately identifies her. No, I, I'm running from that situation. You don't understand, no. No, that's where you're supposed to be. That's what you're supposed to be doing. Hagar, Sarah's maid. Where are you coming from? And where are you going? And Hagar says, well, I'm fleeing from the face of my mistress, Sarah. She said where she was coming from, but like so many that are fleeing from a trauma in their past or fleeing from a painful circumstance, they have no idea where they're going. But the grace of God still found them. And the angel of the Lord says to her, return to thy mistress and submit thyself under her hands. Return and submit. Wow. That was not what I get. I guarantee Hagar did not want to hear return and submit. She wanted to hear, well, they're wrong, you're right, it's all good. I'm, I'm gonna, you just stay right here, I'm gonna bless you right here. But God says, no, 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 no. You return. You submit. You see, <coughs> Hagar had allowed a promotion to change her behavior. Her elevation from servant girl to a pregnant wife, even if it was just a secondary wife, changed her behavior. Instead of being a humble servant girl, she's now an arrogant rude servant girl to her mistress. Because now she was favored by Abram, now she begins to deal with Sarah with disrespect, uh, and it began to change her. And God deals with Hagar and gives her a dose of humility. Is that not interesting to you? Abram's wrong. Sarah's wrong. But Hagar was wrong. As I look across this room, there are surely those that have been through difficult situations. Maybe none quite as difficult as this. But a lesson that we can learn from the life of Hagar is that how you respond to what was done to you is important. 
And God gives her an attitude correction and says, no, you go back and you submit. You go back and you be humble. You go back and you listen to Sarah. Even if she's dealing harshly with you, you go back to that situation. But he does not send her back alone. The angel says unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, and it shall not be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, and shall bear a son, and shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. Ishmael means God will hear. And he will be a wild man. And his hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren, or he'll dwell next to his brethren. And she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, Thou God seest me. For she said, Have I also here looked after him that seeth me? Wherefore, the well was called Beer Lehe Roy, the well of the living one who sees me. Behold, it is between Kadesh and Bered. When she was at a low point in her life, God found her. When she's running from her problem and her situation, God reveals himself to Hagar, a little servant girl who's got a rebellious streak in her, and she's on the run from being mistreated. Yes, she was mistreated, but God sends her back. But in that wilderness experience, she reveals or gets a revelation of God as a God who sees her, and a God who hears her. This little servant girl who grew up in pagan Egypt uh, now has understanding of who God is. Uh, because even in a difficult circumstance of your life, uh, God can begin to operate and reveal things about himself to you. She's in between Kadesh, which means the sanctuary, and Bered, which means hail or she she is if you'll let me in between the storm and the sanctuary she's in between the safe place and the chaos and in that place God finds her and God reveals himself to her and Hagar is able to humble herself and go back and submit the Bible says that Hagar bare Abram a son and Abram called his son's name Ishmael and Hagar now lives She's got a daily memory, I'm sure. I was mistreated. I was wronged. Every day when Sarah asks her for a cup of water or a loaf of bread, and Hagar has to bow her head and bring that cup of water and a loaf of bread, I'm sure there's a little memory of it in there. But Hagar's also got a reminder because every time little Ishmael goes running by, She remembers, God hears me. God hears me. God hears me. Every time she speaks her son's name, she's proclaiming, God hears me. Come on, somebody today, you've got to understand, uh, God hears your voice. Uh, Maybe your circumstance didn't change quite like you wanted it to change. Maybe you're still in the middle of a hard time, uh, but you can have a reminder tonight, God hears you. God sees you. God can find you wherever you're at. And so instead of running from that circumstance, why don't you humble yourself in the sight of God and trust that just like his word proclaims, he will lift you up. He will work in your life. You go a couple of chapters ahead 
And God begins to appear to Abraham. In Genesis chapter 17, he changes his name from Abram to Abraham. Abram means great father. And Abraham means father of many nations. And at this point, Abram has one slightly legitimate son. And God begins to speak promises over Abraham's life. And we deviate a little bit from Hagar for a couple of verses. But Abram said unto God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. And God said, Sarah, your wife, will bear thee a son indeed, and you'll call his name Isaac, and I'll establish my covenant with him, an everlasting covenant, his seed after him. But as for Ishmael, I have heard thee. Behold, I have blessed him, and will make him fruitful, and will multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he beget, and I will make him a great nation. God is able to redeem the things that never should have even happened. He's a God of mercy and grace. He is good. Uh, As I I look back over the stories and the tales of my life, there are things uh, I wish I could have avoided. There are things I wish I could have skipped. Uh, If life had a rewind button, there are moments I would go back to uh, and erase completely from memory from ever happening. Uh, But I'm so thankful that I serve a God uh, that can take even those painful moments uh, and begin to redeem them and force them to serve His purpose. But be careful. Be careful. As God's speaking faith to Abram, Abram is trying to put flesh in front of God. God's saying, I'm going to raise up a seed. And and Abram's saying, look, here's what I've already done in the flesh. Is this not good enough for you? Be careful what you offer to God in, in flesh and not in faith. In Genesis chapter 21, moving ahead in the narrative... Abram is 100 years old and Sarah is 90. Nothing like that family portrait. Abram's got oxygen and a walker with the tennis balls on the front. Sarah's got dentures out for the picture. And here's this little bundle of joy. I thought 30 was too old to have kids. I've never tried it at 100. If I make it, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. And they're having a celebration for little Isaac. And Sarah sees the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had borne unto Abraham, mocking And she said unto Abraham, cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. The mistakes of the past seem to mock the promise of the future. But I'm thankful for an omniscient God who chooses to forget. There's nobody under the sound of my voice that's perfect in this room. And if you'll be humble enough to admit it in the sight of God, there are things in your life that when you think about them, mistakes that you've made, that when you think about them, that that reaction rises up in you, that shame rises up in you. But we serve a God. We serve a God who, though he knows all, 
though he sees all, though he understands all, willingly forgets. He puts it under his blood. He covers it with his blood. Those, those things that you've done that you're ashamed of, uh, when you repent and you go down in the waters of baptism, uh, it doesn't matter how messed up the story was. Uh, if you'll turn from it, you'll confess uh, to him and you'll begin to walk towards Jesus. The God uh, who knows all will take your sin as far as the east is from the west uh, and he'll remove it from you and he will choose to forget. He will choose to forget. And the thing is grievous in Abraham's sight. Because although Sarah might not have been fond of Ishmael, Abraham was. That was his boy. So now, the pain continues for Abram. And God says to him, don't, don't let it be grievous in your sight because of the lad and because of the bondwoman. And all that Sarah has said to thee, hearken unto her voice. For in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Sarah and Abraham have grown immensely from chapter 16. Abram had gotten into trouble before listening to his wife, but now God tells him to hearken. Gentlemen, you would probably do well in listening to the counsel of your wife every so often. I thought for sure there'd be an amen from the, from the ladies' portion. God tells them to listen to your wife, especially if your wife is a woman of prayer, a woman who's serving God, who's following after him. When, when she begins to speak in your life, that should be an opinion that is heard and valued and taken, not for granted, but taken and considered. And so God tells him, look, the son to the bondwoman, I will make a nation because he is thy seed. And so Abram, in obedience to God, he gets up early in the morning. He takes bread. He takes a bottle of water. He gives it unto Hagar, putting it on her shoulder. I, I imagine there's some tears. I, I don't know how there wouldn't be. Ishmael's about 13 years old at this point, maybe, maybe a little bit older. I, I'm sorry, he's probably about 16 years old, assuming Isaac is about 3 to 5. Ishmael's probably about 16 years old. And so Abram puts a bottle of water on Hagar and on her child, and he sends her away. And she departs and wanders in the wilderness. The first time she's running, the next time she's cast out. The whole situation stirs something inside of me. Sin has this way of infiltrating and destroying everything that could be beautiful and pure. This situation that never should have happened... This, this thing that never should have come to pass is now, now it's ripping the heart out of multiple people. And so here they are wandering in the wilderness. No, no sense of direction, no sense of purpose, unwanted, cast out, forgotten. And the water was spent in the bottle and she throws the child under 
one of the shrubs, and she goes and sits down over against her child. Put yourself in Hagar's shoes for a moment. Mom's holding, holding a kid in this place. You're, you're out of water, you're in the wilderness, and you don't want to watch your boy die. And so she puts him under a shrub, and she goes a good way off. The Bible says, as it were, a bow shot. And she said, I, I, I just I can't bear to watch what's going to happen next. And she sits over against him and lifts up her voice and weeps. But Hagar was forgetting the promises that God had given unto her. In her wilderness experience, in her wandering, in the difficult circumstances she found herself in, she was forgetting what God had spoken to her the first time. She was in the wilderness. God had already told her, I'm going to make him a nation. He's going to dwell in between his brethren. He's going to be at war with the surrounding nations, but he's going to survive. She was forgetting those things that God had spoken to her all those years ago. But Hagar, Hagar lifts up her voice and weeps. And the Bible says in verse 17 of Genesis 21, And God heard the voice of the lad. I'm so thankful for a God that hears me. There it is again, just a couple chapters later, a God uh, that hears me. He's not so distant, he's not so far off in heaven that he can't hear my voice when I begin to call. And so the angel of God calls to Hagar out of heaven and said unto her, What aileth thee, Hagar? What do you mean, what aileth me? I'm out of water. I'm cast out into the wilderness. My son's dying under the bush. Hello? Anybody ever been there? You can feel the frustrate. What, what aileth? Oh, I, I'll tell you what aileth me. Hello? My son's dying. But the angel goes on and says, fear not, for God hath heard the voice of the lad where he is. Uh, evidently, something had been instilled in that little heart of Ishmael. Uh, because while mama was in the wilderness weeping uh, but not praying, there's a boy under a bush uh, that's calling out to God. And God hears the voice of the lad. Uh, and God knew exactly what was going on. Not for one second did he approach Hagar and try to figure out what's going on. Uh, but he gives her a moment to now step out of fear and step into faith. What aileth thee, Hagar? What aileth you, saint of God? What's the matter? What's going on in your life? You're in a wilderness experience, yes, uh, but you're over here weeping uh, and crying and moaning and complaining uh, instead of sitting with your promise. Uh, the promise is under a bush. Uh, the promise is not over there away from him. Uh, the promise is going to live because God said it's going to live. Uh, why are you a bow shot away from the promise? Uh, God said the boy would live. Uh, you ought to be holding the hand of the promise. Uh, you ought to be holding the hand of the thing that God proclaimed uh, would live. And God comes and has the audacity to say to her, what's wrong? Because God, who knows all, has always wanted you to voice your problems to him in faith. 
God does not want you to cry in your Cheerios tomorrow morning because you're in the wilderness and everything's going wrong. God wants you to lift your voice to him in faith and say, Lord, this is where I'm at. But I remember a wilderness experience in days past where I got a revelation of the God who hears me and the God who sees me. And so, Lord, I know that you see me right now, even though I'm in an uncomfortable spot. God wants his people to voice to him. You see it in Genesis chapter 3. Adam, Eve, hiding from God. They've made themselves aprons of fig leaves. And God comes down to the garden in the cool of the day and says, Where are you? God knows where they're at. He knows what they've done. He knows everything. But he gives man a chance to approach him. Oh, I wish I could instill it down in somebody's heart tonight. The next time... You're in a wilderness experience and you're going through it. Uh, instead of just sitting down in the mully grubs and moaning and complaining about the things that were done to you, uh, you've been cast out, you've been despised, you've been rejected. Uh, how about instead uh, of letting the next generation do all the crying unto God, uh, you just grab a hold of the promise and you start crying to God. Uh, how about you start operating in faith? Uh, how about you start saying, Lord, uh, you heard me before, you'll hear me again. Uh, you saw me before, you see me now. So this is where I'm at. And the angel says unto her, Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him in thine hand, for I will make him a great nation. And God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. Just a little talk with Jesus brought an understanding to her that was right there for her all along. Can I tell you the resolution to your circumstance is a lot closer to you than you might think it is right now. But you got to stop complaining and you got to start praying and saying, Lord, I don't see. Would you help me to see? All God had to do was open her eyes to a well that was already there. It was already in eyeshot, but her vision was so small and it was so narrow and her faith had been shrunk down by her circumstance. But a little talk with the Lord opened her eyes. A little conversation with the God who hears and the God who sees brought understanding 